Take your Bibles tonight. Let's go to the book of James chapter 3. This is a lesson that when you see it, I told a number of people, even tonight as I came in here, I said, you know, you're going to see it and you're going to say, oh, I, I've heard a lot of messages on this. Or you're going to hear another one, but near the end it's going to turn. It's going to catch you very off guard and be very, very challenging. And as I mentioned this morning, um, I have found that a lot of times truth just stays with us. It doesn't get beyond us. And that, that was never God's design. God's design was like that rock in a pond that it would move outward and ripple on and up, impact the rest of your kingdom, so to speak. And so as these worksheets go out, recognize this is a, an easy-to-follow Bible study, the one this morning, the one tonight, and be thinking about who you could teach this to. Be thinking about who you could grab a cup of coffee with in your neighborhood, invite somebody over, and go ahead and teach that or a class that you have, all right? So James chapter 3, right up here, Mom, there's one more. And uh, this side's all good. Y'all good over here? Oh, we got two right here. And uh, then one more over here. Brother Lime Green right over there. Lime Green, okay. Brother Butch, how you feeling? Good? You two doing all right? Yeah, you guys are talking about guns, man. They've always got guns. All right. They, uh, they pounded a lot of stakes. James chapter 3. Look with me in verse number 1. My brethren, notice again who's being addressed. He's not addressing unbelievers. He, he's addressing those who've made peace with God through the blood of Calvary. They're born again. He says, My brethren, be not many masters knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man and able also to bridle the whole body. Behold, we put bits in the horse's mouths that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. Behold also the ships, which though they be so great and are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeth. Even so... The tongue is a little member, and boasteth great things. Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindleth, and the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. And so is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body, and setteth on fire the course of nature. It is set on fire of hell. For every kind of beasts, and of birds, and of serpents, and of things in the sea is tamed, and hath been tamed of mankind, but the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Therewith, in other words, with this, therewith bless we God, even the Father, and, and therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. Look at this summary verse in verse 10. Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. O my brethren... These things ought not so to be. I want to continue the series of thoughts I've simply entitled, Grow Up. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you tonight for the privilege to be gathered in your Son's name and grateful for all who have come out. And Lord, I ask your blessing upon them, every heart and every home represented, Lord. And as we consider tonight your desire for us to grow up in the use of our tongue, I pray tonight we would... Listen intently. Father, our heart would direct itself to you. And Lord, I pray tonight 
that you would challenge us, and then, Father, you would change us as we yield to these truths tonight. Help our tongue, Father, to be that which builds up and doesn't tear down. May it be used for your honor and glory. And we ask and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. James deals with authentic Christianity, as I mentioned this morning. And the book of James doesn't necessarily deal as much with orthodoxy as it does with orthopraxy. In other words, it's not as big a deal what you believe as much as how you live. For how you live is ultimately what you really, really believe. Throughout the book of James, we receive a challenge to grow up. And this morning we saw the first area. The Spirit of God through James challenged us to grow up in our attitude towards trials and tribulations. How many of you after that message bumped into a little unexpected trial? Has that happened already today to anybody? Anybody have that happen? Amen. All right. And uh, they're seated right next to you, aren't they? Yeah. So... You know, it's amazing. You may not have prayed for patience, but I'll tell you, and I said it today, I said it this morning, there's no shortage of tribulation in the world today, man, but there's a big shortage of patience. And you and I want to learn to pray for patience because patience allows us to reflect the glory of God to those folk out there, and patience allows God to build your faith and your character in here. Amen? Without patience, you'll never be godly. And so patience is something we should desire and pray for. But here tonight, in chapter 3, the very challenging chapter, Pastor, I know you preach from it. Brother First, you preach from this. Any of us have been in ministry for any amount of time has preached James chapter 3. But I want to go ahead and go visit that chapter now because I believe tonight that your God and my God, now that we belong to Him, He also wants us to grow up in the use of our tongue. Write that down. I believe God wants you to grow up in the area of the use of your tongue. Notice here in James 3 how it begins. It's very interesting how this this chapter on the tongue begins. In verse 1, he says, My brethren, be not many masters knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. Notice verse number one begins with a command. And the command is this, be not many masters. What does that mean? What is he saying? Don't constantly desire to rule. Don't constantly desire to be the one in control. Don't always have to be the one calling the shots. And one would say, well, why not? Well, because masters will be held held to a higher standard. Leaders are going to be held more accountable than followers. You all with me? They're going to be held accountable for the advice they give. They'll be held more accountable for the instruction they disseminate. And it's very clear to me, leaders will be held more accountable for the example that they live. Leaders such as pastors, leaders such as fathers and mothers, leaders uh, such as teachers, parents, and so forth. Don't always strive to be the one in control. 
because you'll be held to a higher standard. But then notice a question gets inferred in verse number 2. And the inferred question is this. Is it possible, just think about this, is it possible to have a tongue that does not offend? I'm just going to throw that one out there. Is it possible tonight to have a tongue that does not offend? That's the inferred question in verse number 2. Uh, what do you think? All right, just real quickly. I rarely do this. I rarely turn this over like this way. What do, what do you say, Brother Mason? No. no. Okay, Brother Mason would say no. Would somebody else out there say, well, I would rather say yes. Anybody say that? Anybody want to say that? Brother? Okay, we've got a yes over here. All right, final answer. Final answer. No phone and friends. Final answer. All right. So we've got a no and a yes, and I would guarantee probably in the congregation, some of you are going to go with one of those answers. Some of you are going to go with another one. Notice, notice this. I believe the answer, according to your Bible, is yes. Is yes. Look at verse 2. Look at what's said. And we're going to see how that could be possible. Sorry, Brother Mason. In verse number 2, it says, For in many things we offend all. Now, here comes, here comes this inferred question with an answer. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man that would be mature and complete and able also to bridle the whole body. The question inferred, is it possible to have a tongue that does not offend? I believe in verse 2 we see an answer, the answer is yes. And you say, but, but, but how, Brother Mason? You say, well, how can that be? The answer is given there, be perfect. Be mature. Be complete. Amen? Got a question. Do we find somebody other than Jesus Christ in the Bible who fulfilled that moment, who was perfect and who did not sin with his tongue. Do we know somebody? Who? Who? Job. Go there. Job chapter 1. The Lord not only infers that it is possible to have a tongue that does not offend, and the way that occurs is to be perfect, to be mature. That doesn't mean sinless. To be perfect, mature, complete, grown up in the Lord, to be Christ-like. Is there a man that fulfilled that? Yes, there is. Look in Job chapter 1. And notice he is noted here. In Job chapter 1, the devil is tempting the Lord. And look at what the Lord says in verse number 8. Job 1, verse 8. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth? Look at how God labels him. What kind of man? A what? Perfect. Well, that's exactly what James 3 said. If you want a tongue that doesn't offend, you must be perfect, right? That man would be a perfect man. And notice God calls Job that, a perfect man and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil. We notice in verse 14, the devil is allowed to have power over him at that moment. And literally in a matter of minutes, Job loses it all. He loses his business. He loses his wealth. He loses his family. I mean, he loses the whole shebang. Just, just one of those days, you know. 
How did Job respond in the midst of all these trials? Look what's said in verse number 20. Then Job arose, he rent his mantle, shaved his head, fell down upon the ground, and worshipped. And this is what he said. Naked came out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And notice the Spirit of God says this. In all this, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. Well, we know Satan goes back to visit the Lord again. And he basically says, you know, of course he is going to bless you. Look at how you bless him. You take away his health, and he'll curse you to your face. And so God gives him, gives Satan permission to take Job's health. And you know, isn't it interesting? Of everybody and everything that was taken from Job, there was one thing <laughs> that was never taken from Job beyond his life. You remember who it was? His lovely, encouraging wife. Yeah? Watch this. Now he, his health, he's covered in boils. And notice what's said in verse 3. The Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job? In chapter 2, verse 3. And he says it again. There's none like him in the earth. A perfect and an upright man. Satan goes for him in verse 4 and 5. And then look at what's said in verse number 9. Here's Job now, horribly covered in boils. And his wife says this. Then said his wife unto him, Dost thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. What an encourager, you know. And the four comforters that come after her don't get much better. You know what I'm saying? And look at how the Lord responds. But he said unto her, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. What? Shall we receive good at the hand of God? And shall we not receive evil? In all this did not Job sin with his lips. Is it possible to have a tongue that does not offend? According to the example of Job in the text in James 3, the answer clearly is yes. The answer clearly is yes. I want to look at three things tonight. First, I want to consider the purpose of your tongue. God gave you all kinds of body parts. That tongue is a very small one. And God has a threefold purpose for your tongue. Let's look at them. Number one, the first purpose for your tongue. The very first reason God gave you a tongue as a body part was to praise and glorify the Lord. Amen? Write that down. The first purpose for your tongue is to praise and glorify the Lord. Could I say tonight, God did not give you that body part to curse Him. He gave you that tongue to praise Him. Amen? Look at how the psalmist said in Psalms 35, Psalm 35. The psalmist says this about the tongue in Psalm 35 and verse 28. He says, Psalm 35, 28, in my tongue, there's that body part, shall speak of thy righteousness and of thy praise all the day long. Amen? Has your tongue done that today? It's done it if you've sung the songs. Amen? It's praised the Lord. Those songs lifted Him up. Amen? Look in Psalm 71 very quickly. Psalm 71 in verse number 14. 
he reconfirms it again. Psalm 71, 14, he said, But I will hope continually and will yet praise thee more and more, the psalmist says. Not less and less, more and more. My mouth shall show forth thy righteousness and thy salvation all the day, for I know not the numbers thereof. I will go in the strength of the Lord God. I will make mention of thy righteousness, even of thine only. You know, verses like these and many others show you the first purpose for your tongue given to you by God, and that's to praise and glorify His name. Number two, the second purpose of your tongue is to communicate truth. God gave you a tongue to communicate truth. And I need to say this. God didn't give you a tongue to communicate lies. God didn't give you a tongue to spread rumors. God didn't give you a tongue to deal in gossip. God gave you a tongue to traffic in truth. Amen? Look at what's said in Ephesians chapter 4. Notice this in Ephesians 4. And notice with me in verse number 11. All throughout Ephesians 4, we see our God is a gift-giving God. And notice some of the gifts he gives, and they're right to the local church in verse number 11 of Ephesians 4. And he gave some, what? What are these gifts? Apostles and some prophets, some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. For what purpose? Notice, for the, what's that word? Perfecting. Say that word with me. Perfecting. That is the idea for the maturing of the saints. Amen? Could I say this? I've been saved now for 40 years. In all those 40 years of being saved, I have yet to meet a believer firing on every cylinder, being everything they ought to be for the Lord outside of the local church. I've not met him yet. I've not met her yet. Your local church is God's divine institution for spiritual maturity. Just like your family, your home is God's divine institution for physical maturity. Amen? I was over in Prescott, Arizona a year ago or so, Pastor Mark Hoffer. I don't know if you know Brother Mark. and Got a good little work going there. And every couple of years or so, we come through and minister. And I was sitting at a bagel shop, happily having my bagel and uh, drinking a cup of coffee, doing my Bible reading. And I noticed on the table next to me was, was appeared to be a homeschool family. It was the middle of the morning, and there were two older boys, and then there was a younger girl and a younger boy, and Dad was there, and Mom was there. Dad was working away business. A lot of that stuff can be done online now, and the kids were doing their thing. And so when I got up to get another cup of coffee, I just paused and right by him. I said, uh, you all homeschooling? And uh, he said, yes, sir, we are. I said, well, I just want to commend you, Mom and Dad. You're doing a good job. Just the spirit and attitude of your kids, I can just see it. And I just want to commend you. And he said, well, thank you. And I wanted to pay dad and mom a compliment in front of their children. And, uh, and they took it very, very well. And so I got my coffee and sat down. Well, about a half hour later, they got up to leave. The guy came over to me. And I'll never forget, he said, I want to thank you for coming by. And shook my hand. He said, here's my business card. And he said, I'm wondering this week, do you think we could, and I shared my card with him, actually, I shared my card with him, and I let him know we homeschooled our kids, and then we said goodbye. The next day, my phone rings, it's him. 
He said, you know, I visited your website. I saw who you're all about. And I'm wondering, do you think we could meet tomorrow for a cup of coffee again? I got some questions. I said, sure. So I said, how's that bagel shop sound? He said, that's good. I said, yeah, that's what I was hoping you'd say. And so to the bagel shop we go. I meet him there, and here was his question. He said, Dave, he said, I've been saved for 28 years. I've never really gotten involved in a local church because I got hurt, and I saw bad things happen, and I just didn't think I wanted to get into a local church, and so I've really kind of drifted around out there, but God's been dealing with me, and I think I'm supposed to be joining a local church, and I want to know what your thoughts are. Wow. I said, so you got hurt years ago in a local church? Yes, sir. I said, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever seen someone get hurt in a marriage? He said, oh, yeah. Saw it a lot, even when I was a kid. And yet, I said, you wear a ring and you got married. Why is that? He said, well, because I know marriage is a God-ordained institution. It's honorable in whoremongers and adulterers God judges. He quoted right out of Hebrews. The guy knew his Bible. I said, I want to ask you a question. Do you think if the home is a God-ordained institution for raising children and the bonds of marriage, do you think the local church is a God-ordained institution as well? He said, I believe it is. I said, you see, just because something bad happened doesn't mean it's not God's ordained institution. Amen? Y'all with me? I think many times that's just an excuse for a person to become a law unto themselves. That's what I think. That's my observation. I think if you're saved, this wasn't my intent, but here we go. I believe this. I think if you're saved, you ought to be scripturally baptized and you ought to be added to a local church. You say, but there are some weird people down there. Welcome to family. Amen. When did that keep you from a reunion? Amen. Man, the lost world's got more loyalty to family than Christians do. Amen. You ever watch them pool the money, make the plans, go ahead and, and, and get ready for a reunion, drive halfway across the country, get in the biggest fight they've ever seen, fuss and cuss, and on the way home, Making plans for the next one. I mean, you with me? Hey, this is God's ordained institution for spiritual maturity. Look at what he says. For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Watch this, verse 13. Till we all come in the unity of the faith, of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect, there it is again, perfect man, mature, complete, uh, under the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children spiritually tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. Watch verse 15. Here comes the tongue to join in, but speaking the truth in love. Isn't that good? May do what? May grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. I want to say tonight, the second great purpose of your tongue is to communicate truth, not lies. To speak the truth in love, and Proverbs tells us in Proverbs 12 that lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. Amen? And then thirdly, your tongue was given to you by God 
to serve and encourage others. Write that down. The third purpose of your tongue is to serve and encourage others. We're in Ephesians 4. Just go to the very near the end of Ephesians 4. Look what's said here. Ephesians 4 verse 29 says this. Let how much corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth? How much? Say, you know, say that like you really believe that. How much? No. None. Nothing that's, that's stinky. Nothing that's decaying. Nothing contemptible, corruptible. Yucky. That's the picture. I hear the word corrupt. That's what I think of. Yucky, smelly, ugly, yeah, decomposing. Yeah. None of that should come out of your mouth. But instead, watch, but that which is good to the use of edifying. That means building up, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Boy, somebody said something about a year ago. It just really pegged me. Because I can have a sharp tongue. I, I, I have a quick wit, and I love to use it to slice with sometimes. And You know something I found out? When this guy said it, man, my mind began to race. But here's, here's what he said. You know, at the end of life, they get done. People may not remember what you did or how you did it. But they'll never forget how you made them feel. That's true. There are some men that are pressed on my heart, good, bad, and ugly. And why they're pressed on my heart, and I've never forgotten, is how they made me feel with the words they said and how they used them, the spirit in which they gave me those things. You with me? We need to be so careful. That tongue was given to us by God to bless and encourage people to build them up. Amen? That's why it's there. The Proverbs says it this way, Proverbs 25, 11, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in pictures of silver. Amen? He tells us in Proverbs 16, 24, pleasant words are as hun honeycomb, sweet to the soul and health to the bones. That little member denied was given to you by God for three purposes, to praise and glorify Him, to communicate truth, and then to serve and encourage others. But second of all, let's look at the power of the tongue. Go back to James 3, our second of three points, and notice the power of your tongue. Look at how the Lord compares your little tongue to two other little items and their influence. Look at what He says in verse number 3. James 3, verse 3, he says, Behold, we put bits in the horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. Verse 4, Behold also the ships which, though they be so great and are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm, in other words, tiller, whithersoever the governor, the skipper, listeth. Even so the tongue is a little member. It's very small. A boy it boasteth great things, and behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth. Here we see the power of the tongue, and it's compared to two things. And it's noted as being something very small. In all of our body parts, the tongue is not a big body part. It's, it, it's, it's just a small little item. But so is the bit in a horse's mouth. A little bit 
in a huge horse can steer that horse anywhere that the rider wants it to go. Amen? I remember one time I was near a Clydesdale, a Percheron, one of those big draft horses. You ever had one of those things just kind of shift a little bit and then stand on you? you ever, who's ever had that happen? You ever had one of those big ones just stand on you? You can scream all you want, and they're kind of like, and you're like turning purple. Your, your foot has got no feeling. You can push all you want. You're not going to move that thing. I mean, but boy, you put a bit in that horse's mouth, and oh, man, it just goes wherever, just a little bit, and that giant beast gets turned whithersoever the rider wants him to go. It's the power of the bit. And then you got these big ships. And it says these huge ships driven by the wind and all that's there. Man, they can, just with a little helm, just a little tiller that's attached to that rudder, just a little thing in the hand of the governor and that huge ship that totally outweighs him 10,000 times his weight, he can just steer and move that wherever he wants it to go. The power of our tongue is noted, though small, it influences greatly. Turn the page on your notes here. The horse does not control its direction. The rider does via the bit. The ship does not control its direction. The governor does via the tiller. There's great movement by a very small member. And likewise, could we agree with this? The tongue, though small, influences greatly. Would you agree with me? Man, I hear that, I hear that statement. Behold how great a... Uh, great a Matter a little fire kindleth. You think of the tongue of Adolf Hitler and how that kindled a fire that swept this entire world. That little member just literally lit up the world in World War II. Amen? The tongue, though small, influences greatly. It's powerful. Write this in your notes. It's powerful in its influence. That's the first thing we notice here. Look what's said in verse number 6. Of James chapter 3. Your tongue is very powerful in its influence, how it influences things and others. Verse 6 The tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is a tongue among our members that it defileth the whole body, setteth on fire the course of nature, it is set on fire of hell. The first thing to recognize about your little member called the tongue, it's very powerful in its influence. Go back to Proverbs, look at this. Look at this just for a moment. Go back to Proverbs 18. Look at how this is described. Proverbs 18. We're talking about the tongue tonight. Talking about that little tiny member that we just oftentimes don't think a lot about. You need to recognize it's very powerful in its influence. It influences greatly. Look at what's said in Proverbs 18 and verse 8. You ought to circle this verse. Because it shows us the power of influence in a tongue. Proverbs 18.8 says, look at what it says. The words of a talebearer. That would be a gossiper. All right? Not one who traffics in truth. One who spreads rumors and lies with their tongue. Notice the words of a talebearer are as wounds. And they go down into the innermost parts of the belly. Look at what's said in verse 21. Death and life, you can't get more extreme than that, are in the power of the tongue. Words of a talebearer are as wounds. You know, verse 18, or verse number 8, you ever heard somebody say this? 
Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Who's ever heard that, all right? Now, let me tell you something. That is not what that verse says. That verse says words can wound. And I will tell you this, I've seen words take out a lot more people than simply sticks and stones, amen? Because that tongue is very powerful in its influence. So powerful it governs life and it governs death. The two extremes sit in the power of your tongue. Recognize tonight your little member is very powerful in its influence. But number two... Go back to James 3. It's powerful in its indominance. It's powerful in its indominance. Look at what is said here in verse number 7 of James chapter 3. He says, For every kind of beasts and of birds and of serpents and of things in the sea is tamed and hath been tamed of mankind. Look at what's said, though. But the tongue can no man tame. You know, it tells me tonight that your tongue, my tongue, is very powerful in its indominance. It's untamable. Amen? It's untamable by man. Notice with me, and here's the danger, our third point. Here's where it's going to start turning on you. Here we see the perverseness of the tongue. Look at what's said in verse number 8. Beginning in just verse, verse number 8, he said, But the tongue can no man tame. Here comes the perverseness of your tongue. Here comes the default setting. But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil, look at this, full of deadly poison. You know, the first thing you need to recognize tonight about your tongue is it has a default setting. And that default setting is evil and poisonous. Let me prove it. Go to Titus chapter 3. Look with this. Uh, look in Titus chapter 3 tonight. We're looking at, at the final point, the perverseness of our tongue. And we're noting, as the Lord has done, that your tongue has a default setting. It's evil and poisonous. Look at what's said in Titus chapter 3 and verse 1 and 2. Here comes a command in Titus 3, verse 1 and 2. Great time to be reading this. During the political season, all the feelings that are out there, all the emotions, here comes a command from the Lord. Listen to what he says in Titus 3 in verse 1. He says, put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready to every good work. And then he adds this, to speak evil of, say those next two words with me, no man. To speak evil of no man? I mean, well, what about that one? That's mankind. Amen? To speak evil of no man? Are you kidding me? I can't help it. They're so evil. You know. I remember a assignment. I was Kingsway Baptist Church and been there a couple of years, we decided to start up a three-year pastor's class in our local church. Now, I've never been to Bible college. Just went to the local church, just got trained the ministry, hands-on, just, uh, you know, uh, just got trained through the local church. I used to apologize for that, but now I'm, I'm really kind of glad I did. I, I have no loyalty to any camp. 
I just have loyalty to the king. And they call it straight from the word, and I have good friends in every camp. If the camp ever strays, I'm, I'm not straying with the camp. I'm just saying that. I want to I stay here. Does that make sense? doesn't make me good, bad, or better than anybody else. It's just it's been something that's helped me, actually. But notice here, uh, here we are. We're, we're doing a three-year pastor's class through a local church, Kingsway Baptist Church. And I remember we would do three hours of study every Tuesday night. I think I had the final hour. And I was just doing some practical study, and I was teaching on the tongue and so forth. And I remember, as we closed the study out, I gave an assignment to the 17 men that were there. I read them this verse. I said, you know, the Bible tells us, as men of God, that we are to speak evil of no man. So here's our assignment. As we close in prayer, the assignment starts. The test begins. And for the next week, until we come back here, a week from tonight, we are going to purpose to never say a bad thing about a single individual. No snarky comments. We're not going to go ahead and down anybody. We're going to purpose to speak evil of no man. I remember they looked at me like, are you serious? Or as my granddaughters would say, seriously, seriously. This is our assignment. We're going we're gonna to prove some stuff here, all right? And I'm concerned what we'll prove. We'll prove the default setting. And so I closed in prayer, and then off we went. Two men out of the 17 failed before we got out of the church house. And as soon as they did, they go, ah, I can't believe I did that. Yep, two down, 15 to go. I made it six days, one day before and I'm sitting talking to Todd Ransom. Todd was one of my distributors, and we're talking, and I just throw off a snarky comment about somebody, just kind of downed him, and he goes, ah! And I go, ah! I, said, I can't believe it. One guy passed, Ray Trussell. You want to know why? Ray never talked. <laughs> Ray just didn't talk. Well, am I right? He just, he wouldn't say a thing. He'd just smile and shift the coins in his hand. He wouldn't say a word. That was Ray. He's the only guy that... Pass the test. You know, if you study the life of evangelist Billy Sunday, Billy would never name a person by name when he dealt with sin. He would never name a politician. He'd just say, God's against crooked politicians. Billy Sunday hated the booze industry, and he'd say, God's against the booze industry. And many, if you read the life of Billy Sunday, many a fight broke out in a bar when one of those guys that was drinking the booze started down in Billy Sunday, and the bartender would say, you don't talk about Billy Sunday in this place like that. Now, he's against what I'm doing, but he's a straight shooter. And the bartender would toss the drunk out. You know, if we're not careful, we'll start pegging sinners instead of sin. And I found out a long time ago the Holy Spirit is really good at pegging sinners. We just need to preach against sin. God will do that work. Amen? I'm being serious. It's the wise way to deal. And so tonight, we ought to try this assignment. Amen? Why well, just give it a whirl? And see how far each of us can go. So what are you laughing about? Come on. You will be shocked. 
It's not that easy. Because we have a default setting that's not righteous, it's evil. And the tongue berates that. Amen? Did you guys just fail? Did you? What? It just failed. He just, what? Pastor did. Pastor did? No, don't. <laughs> Watch this. Watch this. Come back to James 3. We're getting ready to turn the corner even harder here, okay? James 3. Watch this. Notice the Lord's assessment about our tongue. He says this in verse number 9. Therewith, that literally means with your tongue. Therewith, bless we God, even the Father. Therewith, bless we, and therewith curse we men which are made after the similitude of God. He said, out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. And then he asked the question. Look at verse, verse 11. Doth a fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? What he's asking is, is it possible for a fountain to send out fresh water and salt water at the same time? No. Look at what he adds to it. Verse 12. Can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries, either a vine figs? So, no, so can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh. He's literally saying, out of the same mouth proceeds blessing to God. We sang the praises. And then out of the same mouth, almost in the same breath, we start downing people who are made in the similitude and image of God. And he says, out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. I want to ask you a question tonight. Can out of the same fountain, can you have fresh water and salt water both coming forth? If you have fresh water and you add salt water, what do you have? Salt water. You can't have both at the same time. It's one or the other. And out of a tree that is meant to bring forth fruit, do you, do you, you know, does it bring forth grapes? If it's, if it's a tree, no, it brings forth figs. And a grape vine brings forth grapes. It doesn't, that's, what has, that's how it works. And here's what you want to write down. Point C, in a fountain, the source determines the substance. You catch that? In a fountain, the source determines the substance. And then in a tree, write this in, the root determines the fruit. So here's the conclusion. You ready? If the tongue cannot be tamed, then your problem is not your tongue. If the tongue cannot be tamed, your problem is not your tongue. I've heard people say this. Well, I just had a bad day. You know why they said something really harsh. I just had a bad day. I've had people say, well, my tongue got the better of me. You know, <laughs> got away. I've had people say this. I, I really didn't mean to say that. I always say, well, then why did you say it? You know, then this one, oh, I, I'm tired and just slipped up. I know I said that, but God knows my heart. Or this is a good one. Oh, the devil got my tongue. Blame the devil. You know. You know, if the tongue cannot be tamed, then your problem is not your tongue. The problem is your heart. Write that down. The problem is your heart. And none other than Jesus Christ pegs it. 
Go to Matthew 12. In Matthew 12. Look at what he says here in Matthew 12. Jesus Christ is speaking. He just pegs the, the source of it all, and he puts it right where it belongs, and it's not on our tongue. But notice what he says in Matthew 12 and verse 33. And isn't it interesting how he uses the same pictures that James 3 is being used? The same living word uses the same word. Watch this. In Matthew 12, 33, he says, Either make the tree good and his fruit good, or else make the tree corrupt and his fruit corrupt. For, by, for the tree is known by his fruit. O generation of vipers, how can ye, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart... The mouth speaketh. And then he says this, A good man out of the good treasure of the heart bringeth forth good things. An evil man out of evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, that shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. Notice how he summed it up here. Look at the, just look at your notes. Right below Matthew 12. If in a fountain the substance reveals the source, and if in a tree the fruit reveals the root, then in your life your tongue reveals your heart. Your tongue reveals your heart. I wrote it this way. Bitter words, bitter heart. Angry words, angry heart. Filthy words, filthy heart. But then, kind words, kind heart. Gracious words, gracious heart. Pure words, pure heart. You know something I notice that when I begin to think about speaking evil of no man, I would sometimes draw my breath back to say something, and here's what that little assignment did. It made me stop for a moment and think about what I was about to say and why. And you know what would automatically happen? It would begin to track back to my heart when I paused to think. Why was I about to say that? Why do I think that about that person? And then my heart would lift to God. And say, Lord, change me. Help me. You know in Titus when it says, speak evil of no man. You know what the very next verse says? For we ourselves were sometimes foolish, disobedient, chasing divers' lusts and pleasures, and living for this world. We're just dirty, rotten, wicked, filthy sinners saved by grace. No different than they are. In all their darkness and depravity. Go after the sin. Jesus died for the sinner. Amen. You don't have to kill them again. For their words will justify and condemn them one day as well as you. Amen. You rest in the fact our God's sovereign. And he sees that. Go back to James and we'll close with this. In James chapter 3. You see, in James 3, as he deals with the tongue, notice how it closes. 
In James chapter 3, verse 36. James 3, there is no 36. What am I looking at? Oh, I mixed it up with Matthew. James 3, verse 13, all right? <laughs> Look at what he says. Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? <clears throat> Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not, lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For envying and strife is there is confusion and every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. Every idle word that men speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. You say, but I know some people, especially in this season we're in right now, as we're coming up an election, they're just, they just really twist my heart. You know what the Lord says about them? Romans 12, bless them which persecute you. Bless and curse not. Matthew 5, he says, But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Don't ever, as a child of the king, stoop to their level and be no different than them. Amen? You love that sinner. You hate the sin. Amen? Let's use the tongue properly. Let's pray.